Good morning and welcome to First Presbyterian Church in Louisville. I welcome you if you are visiting with us. I ask that you please stand, stay around a little bit and meet and greet some of our parishioners. If you are interested in a church home, we would invite you to consider us and come and join us for worship at any point in time. We welcome you. I call your attention to the announcements this morning. If you will look on the back page of your bulletin, I'll point out uh, that you'll find them as they're printed there, and uh, I would point out about our congregational meeting that will be two weeks from today, and we are uh, expecting a large turnout for that, and as you consider prayerfully your nominations for the uh, position of pulpit committee, that you would take care to please contact those individuals to make sure that they're willing to serve. And uh, so we ask that you prayerfully consider that and there are instructions about how you might get your ballots into the church office at the appropriate time. So please uh, look into that. If you have any questions about that, just contact the church office if you would. I ask now that you... Uh, Take a moment in time to pause and open your hearts and minds to uh, the gospel that will be preached to us today.
My call to worship today is uh, Psalm 100, and the King James Version says it is a psalm for uh, giving thanks. I ask that you stand and uh, join me with the call to worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. If you will now join me in singing our first hymn, it is number 700, Come We That Love the Lord. Bow your heads and pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful morning that you've given us to come together and worship, and Father, in fellowship, and we thank you for uh, those that are able to attend in person and those that are viewing uh, by uh, remote tape. Father, we pray for those that in our congregation are ill, are having problems, and, Father, we pray for their recovery and that you would bless them, that nourish them, that uh, care for them, and give them comfort. We thank you for some of the good news that we've had uh, this past week on some recoveries. And, Father, we give you all of the glory for that, and we uh, thank you for it. Father, we pray uh, for our former pastor, Scott, and Karen, and Noah, 
that part of the family that was as being transitioned now to Decatur, Alabama. We pray for the new ministry that Scott uh, will be undertaking there and that the church congregation there will be receptive to his efforts. Father, we know that it is in your divine providence that uh, Scott finds his way there and uh, we play, pray that you will bless him and his family. Make that transition as smooth as, as possible. We also pray for Matt Miller, who will be assuming additional duties here in our own church, that you will be with him and help him to uh, go down a path that is much more of an undertaking that he's done. We thank you for his acceptance of that leadership role in our church as we begin uh, soon to search for a new pastor. Father, we uh, pray that you would lead God and direct him in all that he does. Father, we also pray for the recent unrest that we see in the Middle East, uh, particularly overnight, uh, yesterday, uh, when bombs fell across Israel, and we know that uh, wars and rumors of wars are part of our world now and will continue to be. So much evil in the world, we pray that uh, one day you will come again and put an end to all of it. Father, we look forward to that day. We pray for the safety of those that are innocent and affected by these bombs terrorist threats that you would be with them, particularly the missionaries that we might have in the field, Father. We pray that you would lay your hand upon them and give them safety. Father, uh, we're thankful for Bebo Elkin who's joining us today for uh, the message that will come later and we uh, Thank you for his long-term ministry, particularly to this church, as we will mention in a while. But we know that you have blessed his new endeavor, and uh, you continue to bless him in many, many ways. And we're so thankful that we have him that we can reach out to to uh, provide services to us, uh, particularly to fill our pulpit. And we pray that his message would be meaningful to us today. Father, uh, we... Pray now that uh, as you've taught us in the Bible, uh, your Lord's Prayer, that we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today we're reciting our confession of faith using a, a question number 105 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, if you would reply with the bold print for the answer, I will begin with the question. Question 105. What does God require in the sixth commandment? I am not to dishonor hate, injure, or kill my neighbor, my thoughts, words, or gestures, and much less my deeds, whether personally or through another, rather I am to put away all desire of revenge. Moreover, I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself. Therefore, also the government bears the sword to prevent murder. You may be seated.
I'll ask now that our ushers come forward uh, for the giving of our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the gifts that you have given us. All things belong to you. 
And today we return a small portion of that which you have given us. We ask that you would use these gifts to reach out in not only our own community, but across uh, the world as we send missionaries into the field. Father, we pray, pray your blessings upon us, and we thank you for being so beneficial to our church uh, in the realm of its finances. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. I beg your pardon. We'll stand and we'll sing number 175. I knew I'd make a mistake today or two.
turn on the mic too. As I mentioned before, uh, Bebo Elkin is joining us today to bring us the morning message, and he is certainly not, for those of us who have been around a while, a stranger to this church. I'm reminded of about 20 years ago when I was in this particular spot as I am this morning and looking at about three years of searching on and off for a pastor that I had a goal of having one session at least that I could get through without making a mistake. <laughs> well, some things don't change very much and Bebo doesn't change very much either <laughs> because he's been around us quite a while having done our Wednesday night service on a uh, just a wonderful series that is so memorable, memorable to many of us, and we look forward to his message today. I'm going to just make a couple of brief comments about Bebo that I found online this morning because of um, not having the uh, time to put together the uh, formal introduction, but I would like to uh, uh, say one thing that I'm not going to say any more about. There is a great article about Bebo and looking back in his work with RUF that you can find online, and I would encourage you to take some time to read that and what he accomplished throughout his career with RUF. Uh, he in, indeed was instrumental in beginning it from the very start uh, as we transitioned over to the PCA, as well as for many, many years that he worked and uh, almost uh, single-handedly uh, spread the RUF campus ministry across the southeast and even, I don't know how far it goes now, much of the U.S., I suspect, and much of the larger, larger universities. Um, I will say uh, formally about Bebo. Uh, this is from his website. Uh, James Bebo Elkin, by God's blessing, has been committed to Christ and his church for 62 years. Bebo and his wife, Jan, have been married for 50 years and are the parents of three children and grandparents of four. Bebo pursued doctorate work early in his career, re receiving a BA, an MA, a, man, um, a, a Master's in Divinity, and a Master's in Theology, where fo following that he served as headmaster of a Christian school and decades of service with the campus ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. Reform University Fellowship, RUF, as many of us know it. Through the years, he has been an adjutant um, professor at RTF in Jackson and in Ch Charlotte and Covenant the Theological Seminary and Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. During those years as area coordinator for RUF, he spent a lot of time not only teaching but counseling and coaching seminary students with regards to their future ministries. He has been a ruling elder at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi for nearly 30 years. Since 2011, Mabel has been Executive Director of, Consulting of the Consulting Services Foundation. And I might add to that, he is an avid admirer of Andrew Jackson. And he actually inspired me to read several books about Andrew Jackson, which I encourage you to do so. Uh, I ask you to join in welcoming uh, to our pulpit today, Bebo Elkin. Thank you, John. Ooh, I've got to lower it a little bit. 
my wife would scold me. In three days, it'll be 54 years. <laughs> Having dated nearly uh, four years before then, she's been patient with me for 58 years. <laughs> it's very good to be with you. Uh, wow, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with the, with the crowd here. Uh, thank you for the privilege. I very much enjoyed those times in the past. Uh, when you gave me the opportunity to be with you on Wednesday evenings, you gave me a wonderful present at one point that still hangs in our den. And I thank you for it, and I think of you often as a result of it. And I still talk to that fellow Bob Swanebeck all the time, too. Swanebeck is on my board. We only talked twice this morning, I think, as he was dri driving to Emel, Alabama to preach, and as I was coming up up Highway 25 up here, I hear about you. I hear about you often. <laughs> I appreciated Scott and Karen, our UF interns, from all those years ago, as I had the privilege of spending time with interns, especially back then. What else should I say? I thank you. I should say thank you. I appreciate the privilege of opening God's Word with you. And ask you to turn with me to Mark 14. Mark 14, and we shall read beginning in the first verse of Mark 14. All scripture, as we know, according to the pen of Paul, is given for our benefit. It is inspired and it is good for us. It is God honoring. It is good for us. It is good for our sanctification. So we read this passage. In Mark's rendition of the gospel, with God's honor and our good in mind. Pay attention. Now the Passover and unleavened bread was two days off. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth and kill him. For they were saying, Not during the festival, lest there be a riot of the people. And while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking and saying to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii, and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For the poor you always have with you. And whenever you will, you can do to them good. 
but you do not have me always. She has done what she could. Also, she has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. And truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, that also which this woman has done should be spoken of in memory of her. Amazing. Amazing. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would you give us the meaning here, and would you give us the application for we entreat you in the name of Jesus. You have spoken, we have heard. Change us accordingly as you desire, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says that this is in anticipation of his burial. It's about a funeral. And the funeral is shortly to come that week. Funeral. She was three and a half weeks old when she died this morning. She was 15 when she died six weeks ago. She was 17 when she died six weeks ago. He was 21 when he died this past week. She was 42 when she died six weeks ago. He was 58 when he died a month ago. He was 69 when he died two days ago. He was 93 when he died six weeks ago. She was 99 when she died a week and a half ago. Those are either my relatives or very good friends. It proves that death is at the door, isn't it? From three and a half weeks to age 99. Have you come to terms with the possibility of your death at any given time? Who knows? Jesus is talking about this woman in reference to his death. And some mysterious things are happening in this little bitty passage here. It makes me think of funerals because you and I have attended a number of them. I've attended a number of them in the last few weeks. A number of them. In my estimation, the way we do funerals has been changing a bit. My comment is not for a compliment nor a criticism. It's just an observation. It seems to me that we're doing a bit more eulogies today than we used to do in my early days. It's just a changing a bit. Another thing that seems to me to be changing is that we do more memorial services than we used to do. Meaning that there will be often a private family burial at times earlier in the day than the memorial service. It's just a changing a bit. We're doing memorial services, and Jesus is talking about this lady and memorializing her because of what she is doing to him in anticipation of his death shortly to occur. And, of course, you and I know 
His death and His resurrection. We learn things from this memorial, and I call it the overlooked memorial because I really hadn't paid that much attention to it either. Had you? A definition of a memorial, I had to write it down. I can't remember things too well. Something as a holiday intended to celebrate or honor the memory of a person or an event. That's what Jesus is saying right here in this ninth verse. He tells us that wherever the gospel is preached, this woman is going to be remembered for what she has done. He is memorializing her as, in a manner of speaking, she is memorializing him in advance of his crucifixion. And so, I call it the overlooked memorial. We can learn things. We can learn. One man said that this is the greatest praise ever spoken by Jesus regarding an act of one of his people. The greatest praise. The greatest praise. And we learn from, from it some things about him and some things about her and some things about us. In my outline, number one, I say honor worthy. Now, who in this little passage is really honor worthy? It only takes a millisecond for you and me to say, well, Jesus is honor worthy. He's the one who is to be memorialized or remembered. At this point, according to the Bible, Jesus has performed at least 35 miracles. What about those not recorded? We have no idea. But from changing the water into wine in John 2 all the way to John 21, Jesus performs miracles. He healed diseases. He raised from the dead. He controlled nature. All of this before the most cataclysmic miracle to be performed, that is, His heavenly Father raised Him from the dead, and our Savior is alive. This is the first day of the week we're remembering. It's the day of resurrection and the guarantee of your resurrection and mine. And mine. Let's, make a, let's like make a little distinction right here. Miracles, miracles, miracles. There were miracles. The apostles performed miracles because of the authority Jesus gave them. You know, yes, we, we make a little distinction, don't we? We make a little distinction. That kind of miracle will recur again when Jesus comes again. But we don't have anybody being raised from the dead or walking on water or whatever. Fill in the sentence. If you've been around long enough, you might remember that there was a pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, who several years ago proclaimed that he was going to walk on the reservoir. It didn't work. <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> that kind of capital letter miracle is reserved, according as Mike laid out in front of us in Sunday school, Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. It is an authorizing event that God used to accomplish His purposes. 
Well, there are things that you and I encounter that we say, looks like a miracle to me. Because there are things that we simply cannot explain. My favorite catechism, number 11. Do we have any catechism kids in the, in the sanctuary? No, uh-uh, uh-uh, I ought to be. I'm, I'm about to tell your parents something that you don't want me to tell them, okay, about that catechism thing. I'm sure I said it on Wednesday night several times in the olden days. We've got these grown kids in our family. Kids are tough to raise. Anybody remember that? (laughs) It seemed like you never quit raising them, don't you? Okay, do you? Well, we had a rule. The hint of it was given to me by plain Wayne Herring. But here was the rule in our family. This side trip, I'm off script. Give me a moment to be off script. We had a rule in our family. These kids, you know, when they got to be driver's license age and they accomplished all of those things that the, you see where I'm going, they accomplished all those things that the law said they had to to get that driver's license. And they recited the catechism or age, 20, uh, or age 35, whichever came first. I didn't care. <laughs> 35? You may have to wait till age 30. Uh, no. Where am I going? Providence. Number 11. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are His holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures and all their actions. God does mysterious things today that we don't understand. He continues to be at work. Maybe not in that capital letter miracle way, but in ways that you and I perceive to be beyond our comprehension. Jesus was a miracle worker. Another little sub-point, Jesus was a crowd gatherer. He gathered people together everywhere He went. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he preached to several thousand people. Several thousand people. You give me this, this little instrument here so the, the few people in this congregation can hear me speak. Were there to be thousands, imagine that. Jesus was a people gatherer. In Matthew 14, he fed 5,000 adults, male, males, In Mark 8, he fed 4,000. He gathered people. They followed him around through that last Sunday before he was to be crucified on Friday. People following him. And this Jesus was on his way to the crucifixion. He was a miracle worker. He was a crowd gatherer. And he's a redeemer. Note the great triumphs from Palm Sunday. Look at the great triumph that Jesus accomplished on Friday. For you, who merits honor, Jesus Christ does. He didn't do what they expected. He didn't do what we would have expected. He did something monumentally more than you or I could ever have expected, though it had been prophesied since Genesis, the third chapter. Though it had been prophesied all through the Old Testament into the New Testament day that He would be the sacrificial lamb, 
Leviticus 17, he was going to be the scapegoat over whose head the sins of the people back in that day were confessed, and the other goat is led so far into the wilderness that those sins would never return again. Jesus is a scapegoat. Is it your scapegoat? It's a game changer. There are some sitting in these pews who've heard it, heard it, and heard it again. I think I grew up in youth fellowship not too many miles from here. It's a little town called Kosciuszko. Have you ever heard of it? I didn't hear the words of the gospel personally till I was of a certain age. Have you responded memorializing Jesus by remembering what He did and by faith taking to your heart what He accomplished by being a scapegoat? Have you? Now, who's to be honored? Jesus. Now, who's to be honored? Well, Jesus tells us, my little point number two, that this woman is going to be honored. Anytime the gospel is going to be preached, we're going to talk about her. And we're talking about her today because of this little thing that she did. In John 12, we have explained to us that this is Mary who does this mighty act for Jesus, right there, uh, just immediately upon the the, 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 the the precipice of the crucifixion, she anointed him with this perfume. It was not in and of itself terribly unusual because we read in Psalm 133, for example, that Aaron had the oil poured across, above his head and it, and it came down across his beard and dripped down. It, it, it was an indication of something quite honorific to perform an action like that. By doing so, this woman, Mary, is acknowledging Jesus to be an unusual guest and Jesus notes for us how does she know? I don't know. How did she know? Mike, thanks, thankful you, you faced a question and you ended up saying, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How did she know? But Jesus said this was in preparation for his death. I don't know. But somehow or another, she foresaw his death apparently. Here's a quote that I wrote down. And the house was filled, and to all time his house, the church, is filled with the odor of the ointment. Or as another man said, her anointing represents a sum of money roughly equivalent to a laborer's wage for the greater part of a year. I won't go around the room and ask you how much you do make, did make, but imagine that. <laughs> what, what, was your, what was your wage? What's your wage for most of a year? And this little bottle of perfume was the most expensive thing that she owned. Edesheim tells us that it would have probably fed 5,000 men and their families. We're going to have a little gathering at your house. 
We're going to have about 10,000 people show up. You better do a little extra barbecue for that meal. <laughs> she did the extraordinary, didn't she? Because of her faith in Jesus, because of her honor of Jesus, because of her sorrow, because of her devotion. She did what she could do. And look at what happened. Those people there scolded her for it. <laughs> what a waste. What a waste. Hmm. Self-sacrificing courage. Quote, the greatest, most direct, most difficult, but the most blessed thing that ever a sinful being was able to do, namely, to receive the Lord's Word in all simplicity and proceed to act. This did Mary, and this shall maintain her memory on earth till the end of time. She did what she could. She did what she could. We do what we can. We do what we can. Believe me, the session didn't ask me to come whip up the crowd in any way. I'm not a crowd whipper-upper. <laughs> but they didn't ask me to come and, 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 and lay out, you know, you need to give, be given more. <sighs> but don't we? Don't we talk about time and talents and possessions to give of that which we have for the Lord's service? to honor Him, to memorialize Him, to be grateful to Him? Well, number two was, Jesus pours the honor out on this lady. Wow. Number three in my outline, as I'm thinking through it, is, think back again about honor appropriate. Jesus that week accomplished redemption and its application. He, through his vicarious atonement, accomplished the great exchange. The guilt of the sin of his people is laid to his account, and the righteousness, active obedience of Jesus, the benefit thereof, is laid to the account of his people. The great exchange. What a deal. Can you think of a better deal than that? Jesus paid the price so that you and I would not have to pay the price. Second Corinthians 5, Paul writes, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The catechism asks, Wherein consisteth Christ's exaltation? Christ's exaltation consisted in His rising again from the dead on the third day and ascending up into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father and in coming to judge the world at the last day. Wow. You and I, so it seems, ought to be saying, Praise the Lord all the time. PTL all the time. Praise the Lord all the time.
for these afflictions and difficulties that we experience for such a short time are nothing in comparison to what the Lord has awaiting His people at the end of time. We have sorrows, don't we? We have griefs, don't we? We have difficulties, don't we? My friends are crying as we speak without a doubt for the three-and-a-half-year-old little girl. She was born with a chromosome disorder and was not expected to live past birth. But they held her for three-and-a-half weeks. Afflictions. The 15-year-old girl with a driver's permit was driving. Her 17-year-old sister was with her. Her aunt was in the car. Aunt from Akron, Mississippi, married to a second cousin of mine. The 15-year-old somehow or another veered across the road and all three died. The 21-year-old overdose this past week OD. I could go on through the litany. We have our difficulties, don't we? We have our hard situations. But as Paul explains, they're incomparable. And as he writes in the letter to the Corinthians 10, uh, 13, he says that God will not give us burdens that are greater than we can handle this side of heaven. For the incomparable benefit that is ours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who ought to be honored and magnified. Nothing is a waste when it's given to Jesus. A quote. Jesus recommended this piece of heroic piety. To the, applause, to the applause of the church in all ages. The Lord is to be honored. I, I, I do have the privilege of talking with seminary students. I've got a little office there on campus in the chapel. I'm not employed by the seminary, but I, I pay a little rent. But it's good to be around those environments. Those environments. And uh, yes, we, we do attempt to help churches and, and pastors, uh, etc. Often there's a seminary student sitting about oh, two and a half feet from me. We don't touch knees, but he's sitting close. <laughs> and we begin talking about uh, some of the responsibilities of a pastor in First Peter 5 to be exemplary. What ought the pastor to give to the church? Well, thankfully, people don't know, do they? We don't publish that in the bulletin, do we? And invariably the conversation will turn around to the point of, well, do I give on the basis of uh, net or profit? I'm, or, or, net, net or, what's my other word? Net, you know, net or uh, gross. There you go. And without a shadow of a doubt, I usually raise one further question. It's not a cause and effect relationship, but do you want God to bless you on the basis of gross or net? Oh, yeah, that, that sort of ends the conversation. It's not cause and effect. But here is a truism. Christians don't go to church to get to heaven. They go to church 
because it is God's revealed will. Christians don't give to earn the right to be in heaven, but those who know the grace of God are those who give and give and give of time and talents and possessions. We're givers. We're givers. Just step back and try to stop us. You can't stop Christians from being grateful. How do we honor God? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the first of which is, you shall have no other gods before me. And it is rightly said that the other nine are simply unpacking number one. But we are people who love the law of God. As King David said often in Psalm 119, we love to live God's revealed will. We give of ourselves. What would you do for your children? Man, they will wear you out. <laughs> two weeks ago, we had two granddaughters for the week. <laughs> Eight and four. <laughs> Where did we get these people? My wife Jan was worn out. This week we've had the five-year-old from across the driveway all week. We are worn out. <laughs> but what would you do for them? Give me something to do for them and watch me go. What would you do for a Savior like this? What would you do for others to know Jesus as He's revealed to us in His Word? Samuel Rutherford, one of the Puritans, said this, a short quote, Others will follow you if they see you strong in the Lord. Others will follow you, basically, if you lead being a believer in Jesus. Polly Stone was a very good friend of mine. Maybe two or three of you might know about Polly Stone. She died. Polly Stone spent her early years growing up in Yazoo City where my parents had moved when I was a kid. And I knew Polly's parents very well from Starkville. And Polly was an RUF intern all those years ago. And her, her, her daddy, Sam, said, Baby, why don't you send her to Clemson? She's not going to come back anymore. <laughs> She went to Clemson, and she didn't come back anymore. <laughs> she married Bob Stone. She became an integral part of the RTS administration. We streamed her funeral. And here's a quote. Polly made much of serving Jesus in all. Polly made much of serving Jesus and all. She's regular like you and I are regular. But she regularly served the Lord in a way sort of like this lady being memorialized by Jesus. Okay, Bebo, you're about done. I'm about done. Hang on, don't go to sleep yet. I'm, I'm about done. <laughs>
What do we make of this? Well, I think some suggestions were laid out already. But Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. How's it with you? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we're grateful that you teach us by this sacrifice that this lady made. We don't know how we can sacrifice like that. Would you give us the opportunity, though, to do so? That we might show our love and appreciation for you, our Savior. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The concluding hymn, let us turn to hymn number 678, hymn 678.
by the word that you have given us, Spirit of God, continue your work of sanctification as we depart this place, trusting you, for we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.